This is episode number 43 with Yuri Gienotten and Vincent Veehoff from Accelerasia Ventures. Welcome to the Masters of Cashflow podcast. My name is Andrew Senduk, a former banker turned tech entrepreneur. And in each episode, I interview the movers and shakers of the venture capital and investment space in Southeast Asia. With the only goal to help you discover how to raise more capital, build better companies, and to give you a better understanding of the people behind the biggest funds in the region. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Now let's get started. All right, beautiful people, welcome to a new day, a new episode. Uh, today is special because of many reasons. Uh, number one, uh, the sun is shining. Uh, number two, I am sitting across two different Dutchies or Dutch men uh, who are in the region or have been in the region for a very long time. Uh, Yuri Gianotten and Vincent Veehoff. I have the pleasure to be with them, uh, introduced by Michael Grijsseel. So Michael, if you're listening, a big shout out to you. Appreciate it very much. Uh, today, we're going to talk about Accelerasia. Accelerasia is a business development firm uh, that drives the expansion of fast-growing tech companies into APAC. And recently, they launched uh, Accelerasia Ventures, uh, which is a VC fund. And from that fund, they invest uh, besides just helping to support on BizDev. They're actually investing capital into these innovations. And I love today's session because oftentimes when we talk about VCs, we talk about investments, uh, we talk about smart money. What is smart money? What, is, what, do, what do companies need nowadays? Is it just, it's just cash or they need help on unlocking growth? Well, this is actually where Acceleration started. So it's a great uh, way to talk today about cash and actual help of the business. So uh, Yuri, Vincent, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. How are you guys doing? Thank you so much, Andrew. I'm doing absolutely fine. And thank you for hosting us. Much appreciated. Great, great, great. We have, a, we have a nice session today. We've got the, the Netherlands on one side, we've got Singapore and we've got Bali. So uh, it's a nice international bunch. Guys, um, both of you have a very interesting uh, backgrounds and I think very complementary where I see like Vincent is very kind of like typical M&A type of corporate finance background and, 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 and uh, Yuri is really like kind of a biz dev hands-on in, in the region for a long time doing stuff with red herring and, and, and building, building companies as well. So maybe just to kick it off, maybe you can share a bit more on kind of like the, the birth uh, of Acceleration and uh, how that came about. Um, yeah, I can, I can definitely do that. And uh, so I've been in, in Asia, I think more than, uh, more than half my life. Uh, it started in 98 in, in Hong Kong, spent time in Korea, Beijing, um, and for the past 17 years in Singapore. Always working with, you know, like technology companies in technology environment uh, for the Red Herring used to run their VC and startup events in Asia. Uh, after that worked in, the, you know, business development roles for tech companies. And that's also really where, uh, like, you know, Acceleration started. Um, I think about 12 years ago, we saw Southeast Asia as a, you know, potential growth region, actually a big growth region. Uh, at that time, you actually really had to sell it because everybody thought about China and India. Exactly. Nobody actually thought, thought at all. Uh, so we would come with slides, you know, 700 million people. Uh, these are these, these countries. Um, and and we, 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 we saw the need for it, right? We, we started to get a lot of questions from companies in Europe and the US. Okay, what, what is it about? Uh, how do we do business there? Uh, how can we enter these markets? So we thought it, it's actually a great opportunity for, uh, like, for Acceleration to not write reports, not write, you know, like consulting uh, type. This is how you should do it, but actually do it. Um, and as, uh, like, as, as 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 founders, okay, we'll we'll help you run your business. Uh, we like 
innovative companies. We loved new markets. Uh, and we think Southeast Asia was like super, super exciting. So that's how we started it. And we started approaching uh, all these all these companies. Uh, that, yeah, that has been now 12 years and I think 60 plus companies that we've uh, that we've brought to the region. Wow, that, that's that's amazing. 12 years. And and so so let's bring us back to 12 years ago, right? So a couple of Dutch guys uh, who have been in the region for a long time are approaching companies from the quote unquote West and said, like, hey, guys, this is a market that you need to enter, right? So how did these Dutch guys eventually, I mean, even though you've been in the region for a longer time, it's, it's, still, it's still like knocking on a lot of cold doors. Or was there a lot of, was there like a black book that you could, you know, tap into so it was easier for you to like open up, open up markets for these European or Western companies? It's, it's, a, it's a combination of that. It's a combination of an existing network uh, that uh, we, we've had, but it's also a you know, like hiring a good team around you because you you agree we are also not from here, mm. but having a, having a local team, being in market, being present, and and and, and very hands on, rolling up your rolling up your your sleeves, yeah, and and uh, and, and <laughs> it is knocking on doors and it is meeting people and it is having conversations, but also coming with really innovative and exciting technology companies. Yeah. And if you see the, the progression from, uh, let's say, the BizDev support, eh? because uh, we talked about it briefly, I mean, um, what is venture capital nowadays, right? I mean, there's so much capital flowing into the region. Uh, there's, you know, the $10 million rounds are like, every day you'll hear a $10 million round. Uh, it's almost normal, right? So as VCs, you need to try to diversify to be unique as well within the, within the playing field. How do you guys, how do you guys see that? You're absolutely right, Andrew. Uh, there's an enormous amount of money available right now, uh, also due to the fact that the interest rates are low. So there's money flowing into VC more easily than before. And VC funds are actually quite, you know, stuck with cash, which they need to deploy in a certain amount of time. So what SRA Asia is trying to do is not to follow that particular course. I mean, we're not a massive fund. We don't have, you know, uh, asset managers or pension funds as a SLP. So we have the flexibility to really focus on a segment, A, that we understand, where we can create value, hands-on value, with our, you know, with our brains, with our heart, and with our uh, hands. Um, but also uh, look for companies where founders are looking for support. I mean, providing a 10 million check is fun, but mostly those founders would like to have some support, some coaching, some distribution, some insights as well. And we can deliver that. And obviously there are founders who are only looking for money. Well, these are generally not the right companies for us. We like to partner with companies who, looking, who are looking for A, some funding, but B, mostly support, insight, mm. network, coaching, added value. Mm. And these are the founders that we like the best. And that is more or less our niche. And that's where we can find some pretty good deals for ourselves, to be honest. Yeah, that, that's amazing. So if we go, if we go a bit deeper into, into the added value, right? Because uh, I, I oftentimes uh, joke around with, with VCs and I say that, you know, if I would have 10, 10 websites of VCs, uh, the copy, the copywriting of every, every website will be written, I think, by the same person. Uh, so, so if we go a level deeper, because everyone will say like, oh, we're going to add value, you know, we're, we're more than just a check. But how does that practically look like uh, when... For example, Acceleration would invest in my company. Like, how would that how would that look like? That added value. To give you an example, uh, Andrew. So, um, a typical week consists out of five or six working days, right? Uh, for people like us, and I spent roughly four four and a half days a week with my portfolio companies. Mm, wow. 
so it's more or less a day a week, which 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 I personally spend on deal sourcing, new deals. Mm. Um, that's because they're the companies that we're in right now, and there are eight in total. They all have certain projects. It can either be on the business development side, it can be on the product side, it can be on key hiring. It can be on expansion. It can be on financial legal structures between different entities. It can be about debt raising, fundraising, coaching of the founders. It can be everything. Mm-hmm. And some of the projects we can tackle, some we cannot, but those that we can tackle and where we schedule time for, we help them with. Yeah. And for example, to give you a practical example, one of my portfolio companies right now are raising their Series B in the USA which is rather difficult due to COVID and also due to the fact that they are based in Singapore. So I spend a lot of time with the founders to do the introductions, to do the meetings with the USVCs, to make sure that the documentation is in place, the data room is up to, uh, mm. up to standards. Mm. Another company of mine is currently struggling with hiring. They are you know, trying to hire some very senior people. It's not very successful at, uh, at, at the moment. So what happens is that we kick in and help them sourcing the right candidates uh, and doing the interviews with them so the founders can you know, focus more time on the day-to-day business and actually make a shortlist and say to the founders, hey guys, these are the shortlist that you need to, um, uh, sorry, of the candidates that you need to, uh, yeah. need to talk to. Yeah. Also debt raising, structuring debt. It's, 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 it's a complex project. Not every founder is well equipped financially. We help them structuring, do the negotiations, do all the legal paperwork. Just get all that stuff off their hands yeah. so they can focus on growing the business. Yeah, I think that's a super good point, right? Because I think as founders, it's oftentimes very confusing when you, when you jump in this whole circus of fundraising because your, your, your workload suddenly becomes overflooded with fundraising activities. While actually you need to be focusing on value creation and building your business, building a culture and building your people. Uh, so I think that that totally makes sense. Your, your fund, you you just launched. You initially had a the initial fund was like was it last year or because I think I, I talked to you. Uh, 17, yeah, 17, 2017. Okay. That was the, the initial yeah, fund, right? The initial fund that yeah. has been fully invested right now. Actually, we invested more than we actually raised, so that's that's that's, <laughs> that's always uh, always uh, always nice. And we're now yeah. in the midst of the process of raising our second, second fund, fund, which will be. And that will be a much larger fund, which we can also um, you know, do more deals with and also deeper. So it means that we can yeah. write larger follow-ons and follow-ons. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. this is the fund. Like, so the initial one was like a couple of million dollars. And then now the, the second Correct. fund is, is AUM of what, around 20, 25 million dollars? 25, yes. 20, 25 million dollars. Okay, so this is, uh, I always love the, from zero to one is always the most interesting part, right? Whether it's from zero to one where you start a business or zero to one when you start the fund. Can we talk about, how you went from, let's say, uh, biz dev services, you know, like really helping uh, companies from the West enter Asia to, you know what, let's, uh, let's get some LPs together or at least some people that can commit some cash. We have a pile of cash and start investing. Like what's, what, what was that transition like? Uh, it, it, was, it was almost a natural transition, right? Because yeah. uh, looking for, for companies uh, in Europe and in the US, um, you know, finding new uh, clients, for example, for acceleration, it's like looking at deal flow. Yeah. You know, the, the, all the conferences that we would go to, the connections that we have with VCs, with other entrepreneurs. And, uh, so so you, you're, you're constantly looking at those kind of companies. You also build a network for those companies in Southeast Asia where you get your deal flow from Southeast Asia. And very often we saw really unique companies, but they didn't have the capital to expand to Southeast Asia. 
and we got the questions uh, can you take sweat equity or could you uh, do your, your your fees into um, uh, instead of retainers you get it in in equity and we've, we've we've entertained that a couple of times but never really successful because you're mixing two yeah it's difficult uh, business models mm. you're mixing two business models uh, which is unhealthy because you you can have great companies that are not looking for funding that you want on the service side, yeah. or you have um, uh, great companies that you would love to uh, like like invest in, but the valuation is off, uh, or you have great companies that you want to invest in, but you know you don't want to sell because you don't have the expertise. Uh, so we really thought that in order to to do it right, we need to se- create a separate company, and that's when we launched also Acceleration Ventures. And that was also when we, you know, and exactly what you said in the beginning, um, my experience is really on operations, on sales, on commercialization. Um, uh, and if you want to raise funds, you need also uh, M&A, deal structuring. And, and, and so that was a really great transition um, uh, also for, uh, like for Vincent to, uh, uh, yeah, to really run that at that, that, that time. So that's the, that's, that's the transition from acceleration to acceleration ventures. So how was it regarding like structuring the fund itself, right? I mean, uh, you go from, let's say, having clients on one hand, and then these clients, they have requests, they, they come with these sort of equity type of deals, barter deals almost, but then you need to eventually find people with deep pockets, right? To say like, okay, I'm going to commit to you a million dollars or $500,000 or whatever the amount is. Were these all, did this also came like naturally just within, within your uh, portfolio of clients or, you know, guys that you work with in the network, or was there a new type of network that you had to tap into uh, of, of LPs who said like, okay, you know, we have deep pockets. We want to invest in Asia. We don't know how, okay, I'll do it through you guys. So essentially, Andrew, uh, what happened is when we launched our first fund back in 2017, uh, we set up an, a company-based model, so not a typical GPLP fund structure, but a typical company-based uh, model. And in our network, we had a couple of successful entrepreneurs, successful corporate leaders, successful investors who said, you know, I like what you guys are doing. I see the added value of your hands-on approach with, you, with, with the company. I'm willing to, uh, to finance your, you know, maiden fund. Yeah. So indeed, we raised checks, you know, 200k 500k and we stacked it up and with that little jar of money we started to deploy our first checks in 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 2017 and that 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 actually started rolling right so we did two deals in 2017 and then all of a sudden 2018 2019 2020 we really started you know ramping up investments in eight new companies but also in follow-on rounds so we have a very nice portfolio now of eight companies that paper gain in the books and that is the basis right now for raising the um, uh, the new second, fund, second fund, and what you see is that the LPs of the first fund, uh, most of them, will also transition into the second fund as well with higher uh, commitments. With so that's uh, yeah, that's a positive. Yeah, yeah, that's super exciting. Super well, exciting. I, I, I also think that added, especially in the beginning, that uh, what a lot of companies uh, or a lot of investors like respected is that we also put our own money in it. Yeah. Yes. Right. So, so, so we say, uh, you know, like in, especially in our first one, uh, minimum ten percent of um, of the investment we do ourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, that that you know, talking about hands on. Yeah. Uh, that's also considered hands on. So ha- yeah. hands on uh, on on money, hands on on time, and hands on on uh, like on commitment, and and that's really how you should, I think, how you should start any business. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Being being invested in it. Skip, yeah, skip what I like, 
yeah, skin in the game. And what I what I've noticed is that, that some of our founders like that as well. Because some of our founders started their company, bootstrapped it with their own savings, and then all of a sudden an investor comes on board with a ticket where you know a sizable chunk of it is their own saving of the GP itself, yeah. right? Yeah. The investor itself. Mm. So the founders like it when we are as much entrepreneurial as themselves with their mm. own money and, 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 and hands-on involvement. So that, that gets a nice uh, dynamic. Yeah, that is it's so interesting. I think there's, even from an investor perspective, from an entrepreneur's perspective, there's very similar energies uh, that are on that, on that yeah. equation, right? Um, yeah, because in, in theory, you're both startups at that time. Yeah, ex- ex- exactly. Maiden fund, and it's yeah. there, uh, and we are also fundraising. They're yeah. fundraising. Yeah. We're doing processes. So it, and that's really how you should see the relationship with, uh, with the, the companies that you invest in. And if, if they see you also like that, instead of, you know, like, uh, yeah. Uh, just like throwing money but they know okay it's also it's like it's also yours you you create a level of trust right you're like okay we're in we're all together and commitment from from both sides and that's when you drive really good really good partnerships yeah i I love that a lot and and one thing which which oftentimes i i i like to discuss as well is because uh yes they are very similar but at the same time there is a different quote unquote agenda for the investor versus the entrepreneur so let me explain right an entrepreneur could be saying like okay i'm working now on product market fit and uh, i need more time to to test and uh, iterate and launch again because uh, it's it's not there yet well at the same time uh, the investor maybe has a different timeline uh, a timeline of investing timeline of you know returning rois so there could be a different agenda let's say for the investor um, do you see that? Do you see that as well, or or, or how do you how do you handle to say the different priorities as a, as an investor versus the priorities of the entrepreneur? So with our first fund, Andrew, we don't have a specific timeline, so we can stay on board as long as we want to. Eventually, we would like to exit, right? Because our LPs would like to have their money back with exactly. some, uh, with some return on it. Right? Yeah, uh, but we don't have a very fixed timeline, so that gives a lot of flexibility. For us, but also the founder, because he doesn't have to think about, you know, structuring a secondary process for us to exit or certain exit rights. So that makes us very much aligned in that uh, uh, in that particular process. And regarding the second fund, like, how do you? Uh, is that is it going to be similar, or uh, or how do you look at that? Yes, uh, similar. We do have a fixed timeline, but that's longer than the, what you typically see into the VC industry. We did it on purpose. Just to give us again that flexibility to stay yeah. on and and, 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 and and to provide value and to be an investor if a company goes very very uh, very well, but in the end, obviously, uh, we need to. Uh, there need to be an exit, right? Uh, yeah, there need to be an exit. It's 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 interesting, we're right? Quite flexible there. I mean, for for VCs in general, I mean, it's it's always going to be about uh, uh, what 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 is, what is the exit opportunity, right? I mean, uh, else uh, why would you invest? I mean, there should be an exit opportunity. Yeah. Talking about exit opportunities, I think uh, you know Grab's IPO uh, recently has, has has opened a lot of doors, right? But w- what are kind of like the sounds that you hear in the hallways or the things that you hear amongst your your investor network on specifically the exit opportunities within Southeast Asia? Well, I think Grab was 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 a very important milestone for Southeast Asia because that put Southeast Asia really on the map also in the US. Because what you see in the US and Europe is these are big, large, mature markets with a lot of VCs, and they invest in their region. So US investors typically invest in the US. European investors typically invest 
into Europe. But what you see, because of the fact that the markets become more mature, they become expensive, they're looking for yield. Yeah. And with the Grab IPO, that was a typical milestone where some of the larger VCs slowly look into Southeast Asia opportunity. Take, for example, KKR, who just invested uh, in a large uh, uh, platform uh, two weeks ago. That is already demonstrating the fact that some of the bigger SMEs are slowly looking into Southeast Asia. They're looking into certain Southeast Asian markets, for example, Singapore, Indonesia, Philippines, and look for yield there. Ticket sizes tend to be initially low for them, but I do see a path ahead where they will really ramp up their exposure to Southeast Asia. And the fact that Singapore is a very well-connected hub makes it very interesting for companies to settle in Singapore, raise money, scale, become successful, and eventually list either in Singapore, Hong Kong, London, and even the US right now. Yeah. So I think the exit climate um, in Southeast Asia and Singapore in particular uh, is, is only in the early days. The, 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 there, there will be a ramp up of new exits uh, coming on, either in trade sales, where big yeah. European or US strategic buyers, PE firms, will buy all those companies, or maybe even listings using an IPO or a SPAC. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's one thing that you see like slowly, like more and more, where there's also regional MA. And had like North Asian companies who want to enter Southeast Asia, European companies, and they would want to enter Southeast Asia, Australian like companies that want to enter and do it do it through acquisitions, and also um, you know Singaporean companies that are start to acquire uh, companies in individual markets to create regional presence, and I think that's a yeah that's a really good um, yeah that's a good trend for uh, for for investors. Yeah, that's uh, very, very exciting. And for, and for founders, right? Because, and for founders, yeah. You know, when there when there's exit, there's wealth, there's yeah. experience. Yeah. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, like 10 years ago, um, most founders were first-time founders. Now you start to create second-time founders. You start to get hands-on investors who had an exit and then reinvesting. And like in, I think in the U.S., they were always talking about the PayPal. Uh, yeah. You start to see that yeah. yeah, you start to see that here as well, yeah. uh, which is only good for the ecosystem. Yeah, no, that, that's that's amazing. I know that Acceleration, I'll tell you, because uh, we talked about it, Yuri, uh, your first client actually within within the region was, was uh, MediaMox, right? Media. It, 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 that, that was one of the... Well, one of the early ones, right? Uh, so if you look now at, at portfolio, I mean, portfolio clients from uh, Acceleration, but also, let's say, portfolio clients uh, or investments within the fund, is there a lot of overlap or is it is it totally different? Like what's kind of like the categories that you're uh, that you're bullish about? There's less and less uh, overlap. Okay. Um, uh, also because we really want to keep it separate. Okay. Um, uh, of, of course, we, uh, whereas uh, otherwise you get into conversations, well, I'll work with you uh, if you invest. And, yeah. and then the, our investors will say, uh, okay, so you use our money to uh, yeah. fund your services <laughs> business. So yeah. it, 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 it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, 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 yeah. Um, from the eight investments that we did, two of them are from Europe. Now, one, we invested and then used our services. One was already a client, but the other, the other six are from Southeast Asia. And, that, okay. that, and, and, and one of the reasons also for that is we, because we see more and more interesting B2B tech yeah. coming out of the of the region and that is very different from uh 10 years ago where uh, all the first sort of 
companies, uh, tech companies in Southeast Asia, were marketplaces, were yeah. to see, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that, and that's not that's that's not their sweet spot. So, yeah. um, we see more and more B two B tech. We see more and more not only B two B tech in Southeast Asia for Southeast Asia, but coming from Southeast Asia, which has global reach and global yeah. presence, and, yeah. and 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 that is really where what we are focusing on. So let's talk about B2B tech, right? B2B tech is, is still kind of big, a big category. Like what are the sweet spots within B2B tech that is really uh, the sweet spot of acceleration on the fund side? On the fund side. So uh, Andrew, so what, so what we look for are companies that you can understand where we can add value. Now, yeah. that is typically in the, in the field of enterprise software, right? B2B enterprise software. We look for advertising and marketing technologies. That is more or less you know, the background of my three colleagues, Arnold, Yuri, and Frank, they spent a lot of time, you know, helping those companies. So we have some, some track record, some experience. We have a large network there. We can really help them. Another area where we look into is, uh, for example, um, um, certain fin fintech platforms. Not all of them, because we're not fintech uh, experts, but we look into certain areas uh, of, uh, of fintech, for example, capital markets technologies. We've invested in a buy now, pay later platform. Another vertical that we are slowly looking into are certain healthcare platforms. You know, uh, aging is obviously a worldwide issue everywhere, yeah. especially also in Southeast Asia. So we're also looking into certain healthcare solutions that could help people to live independently by themselves for a longer period of time without you know, um, having to put a burden on their children or yeah. on other facilities. So these are more or less the fee key verticals that we are uh, we're looking into. And, and uh, when we talk about, uh, let's say, ticket sizes, I mean, uh, let's look talking about fund number two, let's say $25 million. Uh, of course, a bit of that you reserve for follow-ons. But what's usually the ticket size that you write uh, with the first check? So it can be as low as $250,000 as a as first check, all the way up to, say, roughly $2 million using certain follow-on rounds. Yeah, yeah. Got it, got it, got it. That's, uh, that's super exciting. And when you go back to... Um, Writing the investment thesis, right? Uh, I find this always very interesting because, as a fund, I mean, you wanna you wanna invest in innovation and you wanna back, you know, the amazing founders, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you would have to describe the investment thesis of Acceleration uh, Ventures, what what would that be? Or let's say in a tagline. The way we look at it is: Do we understand it? Can we add value? Mm. Mm. If we can't, there's no point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and uh, yeah. It, it sounds maybe very simple, but uh, like that, that, that is the first thing that we that we look at. Do, if we don't understand it ourselves, do we have a network of people that can uh, yeah. look, look at it? Do we think we can add value? Do we have a network direct or indirect that we can really help grow this business? And if if, if, if the answer is like no, then yeah, that, then with our hands-on investment, see, so then then we then we should then we should look at that. Uh, these two are, are definitely paramount. Um... There are also two others that we are uh, looking into when we are a little bit further down the discussion line. And uh, that is, you know, is it a sustainable business? Not mm. a one-day fly, but is yeah. it a sustainable business that can last and grow over the next few years? That's one. And secondly, can we help it to scale it outside the whole market? For example, Singapore. You want to bring it to Malaysia, to Thailand, to Vietnam, to Indonesia. It needs to be globally, quote, quote, scalable. I think yeah. that is where our added value is to really bring it into the world. Regional, regional. Yeah, because you yeah. have offices also across the region. 
Yeah, so we have the offices in, uh, in, in Singapore, in Jakarta, uh, in Melbourne, uh, well, Netherlands, uh, soon uh, Toronto. Uh, so we, 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 we want to be on a, like on a global scale. Yeah, well, I think this is like a very big uh, differentiator, let's say, from, from let's say your typical uh, VC. There's like really hands-on, on-ground, on-ground help, right? So when, when we look at um, Southeast Asia as a region, I mean, uh, you both spend a lot of time here. Um, how do you kind of foresee? I mean, the, the VC thing is, so let's say, started in 2017, but now it's, it's getting quite a significant with $25 million dollars. How do you kind of see it evolve in the coming years ahead, like the coming five years? How do you see the VC landscape evolving? So I can answer this, this, this particular question on two levels, right? Uh, the global scene and the Southeast Asia scene. So what, what we see on a global level is, obviously, there's a lot of money available, right? And there's a lot of money flowing into VC. So I think that the, that the VC market will remain hot. There will be more money flowing into VCs to be invested in young entrepreneurial uh, um, ventures, that is that is one. On the backdrop thereof, I also see funds change. So instead of, we have 100 million, we're going to invest it in 100 companies, and after seven years, we're gonna wind up the funds and we return money to the LPs. I think that model is slowly changing into a model where we say, we have 100 million, we need to look for the best companies that we can find in our specific focus. We will go deep into them, and we will help them where we can. Not necessarily being hands-on, not necessarily being hands-on, but somewhere in the in the middle, and that is obviously different per, uh, per fund. And we try to create as much value as we can before we exit. And what you see is that that exit moment is also becoming more and more flexible. So instead of your typical <clears throat> three, five, seven years, you see funds going 10, 12, even up to 40 years to really uh, to really make that value creation happens. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a very, very valid point. I mean, when we talk about, let's say, 10 years ago, everything is marketplace, everything is B2C and e-com. Uh, I think there's a very different investment strategy, you know, which oftentimes is being described as like spray and pray type of uh, investing, right? But I think what you said is very interesting because oftentimes when we talk about funds and the fund mechanics and the fund economics, it is a home run game. And a home run game would mean either mean uh, you have a few big ones, or you, or it means you just hit a lot and you just hope that one one hits at home, right? One and stick, it, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and in the case, if we say like, hey, we're not gonna hit like 100 times, we're just gonna hit 10 times, but it's gonna be a very calculated hit. Yeah, so what funds do as well is, uh, and that's what you see with some of the larger funds, instead of bringing on board all kinds of partners with a, you know, with a financial background or mm. a strategy consulting background, they bring in more and more partners with a very strong operational background. They call it operating partners. Yeah. And there's a lot of hiring right now on the operating space in a particular vertical to be able to de actually deliver that particular value, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. a typical partner with a background like myself, yes, we can source deals and we can structure deals and we can do some, 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 some hand-holding afterwards. But the real true value creation happens with people who are veterans in a certain industry, really understand the industry, have a network there, understand the dynamics, understand the trends of that particular industry. And yeah. you see a lot of funds hiring those, I would say more operating partner type of, type of former entrepreneurs who went through all the hoops as well and can really be a coach to the founder and can really align with all the, the good and the bad that's happening to, it, uh, to its business. 
Yeah, I really love like, you know, I mean, just talking to, to the both of you and, and with the different backgrounds, I think that is kind of like almost the, 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 the golden combination of every fund, right? And, and however they want to create that combination in one person. But, you know, just talking to both of you, it kind of like really emphasizes the fact that even for founders, when they're raising, there, there is a, there's a financial side, there's a, like a structuring side of it. But at the end of the day, it is really about unlocking growth on ground, yeah. just, hit, just bounce, bouncing on doors and, you know, breaking doors down and get new business. So if you look in the last couple of years, um, what do you, is, there, is there any trend if we talk about, because oftentimes the topic I love to discuss is like unlocking growth, because for any entrepreneur, it is about unlocking growth. How can I unlock growth? Like, how can I expand my market, right? Has there been any trend of, let's say, the challenges, like what type of challenges do, do, the, do the Southeast Asia startups like, you know, bump into when it comes to this topic of unlocking growth? Is there any trend or is it just similar as, as Europe and similar as in the West? I think the difficulty is for each and every founder is to actually scale its company outside their country, right? Home market, it's pretty easy to conquer, right? But moving something from Singapore into Indonesia, different country, different infrastructure, different income levels, different attitude towards spending, different attitude towards your product or service. I think localizing your product or service to the different uh, markets, I think that is one of the challenges right now in Southeast Asia, because each and every market operates slightly different. And that, yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah. that, 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 that requires a lot of thinking and a lot of hard work to make that, uh, to make that happen. All right. So we talked about regional expansion, right? And I think that is a, that is such a valid point that, um, uh, that is a, that is a challenge. I mean, even for, for my own company, uh, we were, we were in Indonesia and Thailand and it's definitely, one of the key struggles is to open up new new markets. Looking at the portfolio now of uh, Accelerasia, um, is the regional expansion, is that really a thing? Like, is it a central theme of, you know, people that come to you and say like, hey, could, could you guys help us out? I'm talking about the services business, by the way, yeah? just, just for now, like the pain points that they have, is it mostly regional expansion or, you know, when they come to you, is it, uh, is it something else? Oh, that, 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 that on, especially on the services side, that's that's the one thing uh, uh, the main thing like okay you know we want to enter uh southeast asia uh, because for our growth plans we you know we, uh, we feel that we need to have a presence there sometimes it's because our comp- competition is not there uh, we see a lot of european companies actually going to southeast asia some skip the us because the, in the us there's too much competition uh, but what we've been seeing in the last year is that we actually getting more and more requests from regional companies. So companies from Southeast Asia that uh, want our help or input by um, entering Australia, for example, oh, wow. or a Singapore company that says, uh, can you help build pipeline in uh, Indonesia hmm. or a company from, uh, you know, from Thailand that requests, can you help me in the, in the Philippines, Malaysia and Vietnam? Wow. Wow. So, uh, so, so that I, th- I think that is, yeah, that, 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 that tells me that it's difficult, right? And yeah. for us, it's, that's an opportunity. Um, and, and because it, it requires a specific kind of mindset and also experience, right? Like very often I, when companies uh, talk to us, it says, I want to go uh, to Asia. I go like, why? 
yeah <laughs> you know like focus on uh, you know like you're in you're you're in 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 the in the in the uk and where else right go, yeah first go to your home markets around you right that is that is that is easy right if you're from from the nordics go to germany go to the netherlands yeah, go like go to the uk don't spread yourself too thin because yeah. re- regional expansion always is more difficult than you think it will take longer it will cost more resources and more money and definitely uh, so when you go you know you need to you, you, yeah you need you need you need to do it right because you yeah. also only have one very often one chance right you know like yeah. if you go and you don't you, you don't do it well. It is. It is. It is. It is extremely difficult. I yeah. Mean, uh, one of our portfolio companies is uh, is selling enterprise software. It um, it sells it using a SaaS business or typical monthly subscription. Yep. And what we've noticed when we did our uh, expansion in the region back in 2018, <laughs> we've noticed that, for example, certain markets are open for this subscription model, but when we went to Vietnam. For example, they were not open for a SaaS uh, model. They wanted to have, you know, I'm going to buy the license. And yeah, one time fee. Main to the stream. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you see, there's already a whole switch in business model, let alone the pricing component attached mm. to it. Because selling mm. this into Singapore and Hong Kong, you can charge a higher price compared to, for example, the Philippines, where pricing points tend to be lower. So you really need to think it through. How am I going to do that when I contract, for example, a very large global uh, multinational with sites everywhere? How can I charge X in the Philippines and Y in Hong Kong and Z in Malaysia? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, how are we going to tackle that? And how are we going to tackle when competitors talk to each other or whatever? So the, the whole scaling in the region across markets, companies, verticals, pricing points, uh, uh, regular, uh, regu- regulatory affairs, it's very difficult. So you really, really need to think it through and you need to take the time to plan it and execute on it. And like you said, you can't spray yourself too thin. Yeah. So tackle one or two markets first. And when mm. you are gaining traction and learning, then move into some other markets because yeah. otherwise most likely you will, you will hit a brick wall. Yeah. I think it's such a good point. It's almost like, uh, you know, emphasizing the word patience in, in that, right? Because oftentimes, especially as, as aggressive entrepreneurs, founders, you want to grow. It's always growth. You want to expand, but sometimes it's, it's really, it's sometimes counterintuitive, right? Because um, because uh, like founders are very often opportunistic, and yeah. you need to be, yeah. right? And uh, you want to go where the opportunities are, um, but you know you, you don't have infinite amount of time. Yeah. You don't have infinite amount of resources. Yeah, and money. But it's like so. Like, what is it? What is what is the what is the one or two things that is really going to turn the needle and it can be scary because that means you have to say no to some opportunities but it's also and, bandwidth right it's also bandwidth yeah. right if you're a ceo and you're running with your small team five different markets that's quite a headache so you need to you need to prioritize you need to say okay i'm yeah. going to target this one or two markets yeah. i'm going to become a champion there yeah i got my learnings mm. okay and now i'm going to target for example indonesia or yeah. thailand or yeah. taiwan or whatever market mm. but just Make sure that the foundation is stable enough and the team is stable enough and you have the bandwidth, the capacity, the resources, the funding 
to really properly execute because you will face headwinds. Yeah, no, it's I think that's easy. such a good such a good reminder of, uh, of of focusing. You know, I always say when when everything is important, then nothing is important. And uh, and I think with this, exactly. it's, it's a very similar similar type of approach. Uh, coming coming back to the fund and uh, a topic I love to discuss is more like being a good fund manager, right? Um, you, you guys went from uh, let's say three four million to twenty five million, and you know, fund three is going to be maybe a hundred million dollar fund. Um, what would you say? What would you say that? What are the qualities of, of a good fund manager? What would that? Uh, what would those be? So I think in our particular case, for our size of our fund, I think the fund manager needs to have two major hats. One is the head of the founders, where he really looks after the portfolio companies, making sure that everything is done in the right way, that you have transparency, that you have trust, that you get all the insights in time, not only financial insights, but also stuff that's not going well. Mm. Uh, is the founder reporting this to you when it happens or does it does he you know hide it from you and, 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 and that kind of stuff. So it's very important to build a relationship with the founders, with the companies to make sure that you're on the ball and you know what's going on on a daily basis, right? The second head is obviously the head towards your LPs, to your investors. And what you want to do is you want to be as, a, as transparent as possible. You want to be as open as possible. They trust you and they uh, will trust you with the money. They will trust you with some of the introductions. So what we did with our first fund, which was actually quite successful, is instead of <clears throat> uh, sending a monthly newsletter or a quarterly newsletter or you know just a quick update on our fund, we draft a 45, 50-page PowerPoint each and every quarter. Wow. And that entails all our eight companies from three different angles. So we give them a full business update per company. What's going on in the pipeline, new clients, what's going on with some of, uh, you know, uh, 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 um, um, business matters, expansions. We give them a full details into the financials. What's going on with sales, margins, revenue, GMV, uh, is it still working and operating according to plan? Are there some deviations? Uh, what's going right? What's going wrong? We give them full organizational update in terms of key hiring, restructures, new offices that we've opened. And obviously, an R&D topic where we discuss the latest uh, you know, developments on, 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 on product, on innovations. And what we've noticed is that our LPs really liked it because it's a mixture of financial investors yeah. who like the financial side of it. But we also have former entrepreneurs who like the business and the tech side of things. And what we've noticed is the interaction that I have with my LPs are almost on a weekly basis where I get questions, remarks, where they come back with certain su uh, su uh, suggestions. And the fact that they get that full overview of our portfolio, that nice holistic overview, um, makes that they you know, trust us with the money and also with a lot of introductions. So what we see with our second fund is the LPs come back into our second fund with a higher check side, but also they bring in friends. Yeah. And not just individuals, but also professional family officers. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you come into contact yeah. with larger investors who will do a ticket here, which could be your next stepping stone to the Series C. So I think from our, so where we stand today with SRO Asia Pension, I think the fund manager needs to have two very big hats on. One is making sure that the portfolio is doing well, that we're yeah. fully in control. And I was making sure that the LPs are fully informed and fully holistic. I love that. Okay, guys. Um, a final question. Final question of the interview. Um, uh, I want you to uh, to imagine a, a day far, far away into the future, right? 
and uh, both uh, FinCent and Yuri's uh, digital footprint is uh, totally gone. Nothing on LinkedIn, Facebook, Accelerasia, any type of PE fund or corporate finance career. There's nothing I can find about you guys. And the only thing internet shows me uh, are, are two bullet points. And uh, I will give one bullet point each, but this bullet point actually represents uh, your uh, most important life lesson that you want to be remembered by. So there's two people here. So I give one bullet point to each one of you. <laughs> What would what one bullet point say? I think what, what's, what's very important for myself as a person is, was I, was I a good human being in terms of, did I, did I do the right things? Did I not cheat on people? Did I not steal? Did I provide help where necessary? Was I present for the founders, right? In, mm. in, 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 in times of need. And I think, you know, being a trustworthy human being fund manager investor i think that is that is that is that is very important i guess for me love that good yuri um maybe maybe this is something from the the recent the past like like two years that that had come up but this is this is more like you know i'm maybe quite like Everything that Vincent says, I also want to be. But one of the bullet points is, is, is uh, have conversations, pick up the phone, mm. talk to people, mm. right? Uh, um, I, I think nowadays people are too much behind, uh, you know, either behind Zoom or behind yeah, email or behind um, uh, social media, WhatsApp or, yeah. or, or LinkedIn. Talk to people. That's how you build relationships. That's mm. when you learn. Um, and people still pick up the phone. <laughs> you, you know, like it's not so scary to have a conversation. And every time you have a conversation, you learn a lot more than uh, because it's actual conversation. I love that. I like that one. Genuine connections. I like that one, Yuri. Very good. Very good. Uh, guys, uh, I want to thank you so much for this, uh, this conversation. Really valuable. And I love what you guys are doing with Accelerasia. Uh, new fund now. Uh, at least fund number two is, is in the works. Uh, so uh, excited for that, you know, where that will go and, and what you'll invest in. If people want to find out more about Accelerasia or about the two of you, where should they go? At uh, www.acceleration.com <laughs> and, on, uh, and on LinkedIn, that's where they can, uh, that's where they can find yeah, out. Yeah, reach out. Okay. We're, always, we're always open for a cup of coffee, for a chat. Um, always willing to help founders. I respond you know, to LinkedIn. My mobile, my mobile number is actually in it, right? That a lot of people don't look for it, but it's it's in it's it. There. So it's there. It's there. Yeah, it's there. I'm I'm reachable. <laughs> Yuri is ready for conversations, guys. Uh, I'll, I'll put I'll put I'll put everything in the show notes. I'll put the link to the website in the show notes and also your LinkedIn profile. Uh, guys, I want to say thank you again for your time, for your wisdom, uh, and uh, I hope we can uh, we can uh, unite somewhere here in Bali uh, or wherever wherever on the planet. So I hope to see you guys soon. Thank you so much. Andrew. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Masters of Cashflow podcast. If you found this episode valuable, I'd really appreciate it if you can leave a rating and review, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.